You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 142. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am it, Addiction Recovery. It's another episode. This will be like back to back to back, like three in the last six days. Um, I'm specifically doing this because I've just got a lot on my mind. Plus, I stepped away for like about a month. So I was just really, you know, working through a lot of transitions from SoCal to uh, NOBA, which is what I call Northern Alabama. NOBA, is that right? That, that sounds cool. That sounds hip and trendy. Where do you live? I live in NOBA. Um, it's amazing. And so, so much is going through my mind. And, so much is happening with the tribe and, and us really figuring out what we're, our 2022 is going to look like. And if you are ready to step into the most powerful, amazing version of yourself, then I highly recommend that you DM me through Instagram or email me at uh, jesse at jesse mogul or from sobriety to recovery at gmail, however you decide. Obviously, Instagram's uh, super popular. I mean, almost everybody's on it. I've actually had people start Instagram accounts just to be able to message me at From Sobriety Recovery or at Jesse Mogul. Uh, shameless plug for joining the tribe. We are absolutely growing the tribe right now. We don't always have open spots available. I'm not always seeking to grow it, but right now I think this is the time of the year ending of, you know, we're, we're wrapping up 2021. We're beginning 2022. We already understand this philosophy, December 1 to February 1. It's amazing. It's powerful. Whether you join now or whether you join in a month or whether you listen to this a year from now and you join, it, it's it's all the same. You know, just like I've discussed, May 15th can be your January 1st, and we can start you up at April 15th to June 15th. It doesn't matter. It's all about the energy you put into it. Where intention goes, attention flows. And vice versa, where attention goes, intention flows. It's, it's, it's a beautiful way that, that that works. So why are we on the microphone today? Well, specifically, I just got off of the Addictive Pod with Adrian Godino, and he is a member of the tribe, has been for some time. He was one of the originals that was in my very first NLP class that I ever taught. Um, man's just absolutely phenomenal what he does over there at the Addictive Pod. I'm, I'm a big fan. His is an interview-based show, so when you go over there, you're going to be introduced to a lot of different people in the addiction recovery world, and I like to go over there and talk with them. We should, honestly, we keep talking about doing it once a month, and it ends up being like once a quarter, but... When I have conversations with Adrian, they're super powerful. Uh, his ability to actively listen and ask questions that get me to go off in Jesse, you know, Jesse world is is phenomenal, and it's a really cool opportunity for me to be asked specific questions so that I can give specific answers, rather than here where a lot of times it's conscious stream of thought. And so today is going to be a conscious stream of thought episode. I didn't build any show notes as much as I just am feeling an energy around discussing fear because it's exactly what he wanted to me to come on the show to discuss today. And so we've talked about fear a lot. And so how is this episode going to be different than in the past? Well, I don't know how to answer that yet. Uh, let's check back in in about 30 minutes. <laughs> so one of the things that we were talking about when it comes to fear is knowing how to step through it and knowing how to handle fear when it comes to your inner circle, your friends and family. It, it didn't start that way. The conversation went toward that. And ultimately when we got there, you know, I, 
think I came up with a new acronym for fear, uh, face everything and release, right? I think it was face everything and recover is what we're familiar with. I'm like, face everything and release. Let's release this fear. And fear, I really do believe, comes from a couple of different sources. One, it comes from future pacing, what we think might happen. So I'm afraid to go walk in the forest because a snake might bite me or a raccoon might chase me, right? I'm having anxiety about an issue that may or may not even happen. I can prepare for the snake to be on the trail by wearing proper footwear. I can prepare for the crazy raccoon to chase me around by having a walking stick. I can prepare for issues that might show up in life as well as I can and trust that I have the resources available in that moment to handle it, right? Like a raccoon comes at you. You're not just going to stand there and let the raccoon tear you up. You're going to figure something out. So why can't we just have the faith in ourselves that if we go into a social situation, if we start to have an open-hearted conversation with someone in our life, that we'll figure it out in the moment? And will it be the best way to figure something out? Will we come out of it completely thrilled with what just went down? Maybe so, maybe not. But then we have that opportunity to evaluate and then reapply the next time. And that's another thing that fear ends up doing is it ends up stopping us from stepping into awesome opportunities because we don't have all the answers when in fact the way to get more of the answers is to step into and through the fear to begin with we've all experienced this in some way or another we get super uncomfortable about going into social situations we go into them we end up finding our people Uh, Back in the day, I would absolutely just find one person I got along with and just talk to them for like two hours and then be like, okay, I'm going to go. And I'm like, well, you know, I had fun. I went to the event. I really only talked to one person. I didn't try to stretch myself too much. But in just going and in just meeting that one new person, I stretched myself as far as I wanted to or needed to in that moment. Right, without judgment, releasing any judgment, I can say, well, and then next time I go, I'll meet two people. I'll walk up to a social circle where everyone's focused intently on one speaker, um, and then I will just slide in and start listening. And if there's an opportunity for me to uh, bring some input, then I'll do that. But I'm not going to sit here at home thinking about what I could have done whenever I, you know, that's the big thing, right? Do I really want to sit here thinking about what I could have done, or do I actually just want to go and do it? Someone in the tribe who had a session with me yesterday was torn between two different opportunities, go to a meeting or go to a friend's birthday party at a bar. The idea of going to the friend's birthday party at the bar was led more around fear than it was around love. Yeah, there was the social acceptance and being able to see his friend, but there was also a lot of verbiage that that went around like, well, I you know don't want people to think that I'm a snob now, or I don't want people to exclude me from future events, or I don't want them to think that I'm not still fun to be around. I mean, that's some fear-based language. And it's neither, right, we're not judging right or wrong, we're judging upon, you know, one, we're not judging, but two, we are evaluating based on progression. Right, so having the conversation with me, deciding that going to the meeting over going to the bar was the better idea, calling the friend on the phone rather than going to the bar. These were examples of, of what he could do instead, and ultimately I've yet to talk to him today to figure out what ended up playing out, but I feel pretty confident that going to the meeting and making the phone call was the, was the path he chose. And there can be some fear there about changing the social circle, about discovering new things, about exploring our own self uh, 
and then being able to talk about that with people that are important to us and that we love. And that was a question Adrian asked. He's like, well, what happens when you get around friends and family who know you really well and have been around, and now all of a sudden you're this new person who shows up with all these new thoughts, all these new feelings, all all this stuff that's happening now. And I was like, well, the real big key there is to realize that just because they're friends or family doesn't necessarily mean that they have a space in this new version of you. Not everyone gets admittance. Back when we were using, we would mute our voice. We would we would hold back how we really felt because there was a part of us that didn't want to feel rejection, that didn't want to feel abandonment. Or we'd just shown our ass to these people the night before by getting way too wasted and making a fool of ourselves and, and just being an overall annoyance. So I'm not going to try to step up and challenge anything that they say right now because I'm just happy that they still want me in their space. Well, we don't have to be that version of ourselves anymore. Right now we're showing up present and accountable and we're being the best version of ourselves that we know how to be in the moment. So we can challenge and push back on people if that's what we decide we want to do in that moment. We don't go into situations looking to start quote unquote arguments, but we definitely don't sit there and hold our tongue when a conversation's being had and opinions are being expressed and we have one that we feel very strongly about. We want to create a space where we can have an opinion and somebody else can have an opinion and neither one of us are deemed right or wrong for that opinion. I don't want to live in a world where everybody agrees with what I say. I also don't want to be judged for what it is I believe and how I feel and the opinions that I've developed over the course of my life. We all have this, it's like, we didn't even realize this was happening, but we all had like this lily pad thing going on in our lives where something would happen and then something else and something else. And then these life experiences would create these thoughts and feelings. And then we would screw them in deeper and deeper. And now we wake up and we're in our twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and beyond. And we have very strong opinions about things. And our life experiences have led us there. I can't begin to understand somebody else's life experiences as a whole to firmly be able to judge how they would feel politically or religiously or anything else. And in many cases, if you were to ask that person all of the life experiences that have led them to this current belief system, they wouldn't be able to give you an accurate like timeline of how it happened because so much of this is happening unconsciously. 2.3 million bits of data come at us every single second, and the unconscious mind is is basically filing a majority of that away. You only get to hold 126 bits every single second. So that would be like, you know, 2.3 million paper clips falling down upon your head every second, and you're expected to grab the correct 126 red ones. All the rest are silver. You're not going to do it. And on top of that, all of this stuff that has happened to create this belief system in us, it's part of that 2.3 million. You know, enough of these start to stack up. You just don't know why you have like this internal sensation around stuff. So if you can't understand why you have created all of your thoughts and feelings and actions and results, then how is somebody else supposed to be able to figure that out, let alone externalize it to you vocally so that you fully understand why it is they believe the way they believe? 
right? I mean, we're, it's, a, it's an impossibility, and I'm not one to use those kind of universal qualifiers, but it's an impossibility to completely understand every single thing that's happened in your life that has created your belief system. It would be awesome if we could, but it's just there's too many variables. You might have one or two very distinct moments that cause you to have massive shifts. Those will stand out. But surely there have been hundreds, if not thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of little micro moments that just you see it happens, it gets filed away, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not available for recall because it was so minor, it was so minutia that it just, it just went in and it just got organized by the mind the way the mind organizes. So when we ask ourselves, what is it? that we're seeking to move through when we think of fear. It's really just releasing this internal desire to completely understand everything that's happening in any given moment. I'll be afraid to go to a a social function because what if people judge my shoes or my clothes or the way I talk or the way my hair is? But there is 2.3 million stimuli coming at these people every single second that they're at this event as well. Most of us are in our own heads being worried about how we're being judged, so we're not even actively participating in the actual event. It's happening through this veil of fear around how we're being perceived. So when you have a fear about how you're being perceived, realize everybody else is going through something similar around how they're being perceived. When we can step into a space where everyone can just be in the moment and be present, that's a beautiful thing. But we're talking about those very rare instances, and it's probably going to happen at more of a one-on-one level. And that brings me to a really great segue for what occurred last night. So um, I had... three back-to-back-to-back conversations last night with three very important people in my life. And one of them, the person asked me, and I've only, only talked to this person maybe once, twice a year, but they're very important in my life. It's one of those friends where you don't have to talk to them very often to immediately get on the phone and feel like you never missed a beat. And one of the questions that was proposed to me, it was, and I'm pretty sure, I might be paraphrasing, but I'll try to get it out as accurately as possible, was, what makes you so special to do this? Pretty sure that was the exact question. And on my, my initial response to, what makes you so special to do this? What makes you so special that you think you can do what you do? And I asked, you know, in what terms and it was like well the podcast and the coaching and the running of the tribe and and I realized in that moment that well let me let's be honest I did not realize in the moment what my response was going to be um I realized as I began to give my response that this person has not been there for the muck and the mire for all of the hard work. They're not there every single day I'm out digging ditches. They're not there every single day I'm out there remodeling my rooms. Using some metaphors now for the internal work that we all are doing to ourselves. Like, And I've said this before, we didn't necessarily know when we chose sobriety that we had also inadvertently signed a contract to work on every aspect of our lives and not settle for second best. We're just not going to do it, and we're going to challenge things in our lives, especially the things that we have direct control over, to make sure it's the best thing that we should be doing. And moving forward, this is absolutely the best decision for us, knowing what we know now, 
we might get new information later and realize it's time to reevaluate. But knowing what we know now, this is the best course of action for me. People, even the even your husband or wife, even the person you live with, even your kids, they're not fully aware of all the internal changes that are happening to you. They're not fully aware of the work that you're doing when you go to the meetings or you listen to my podcast or you journal or you meditate or whatever it is you do to get yourself inside and, and start to work through your traumas and your sadness and your depression. Like They're not there for all of it. And truth be told, we may not always even be present for it. We might just be going through the motions or we might be having these little, you know, again, you know, minutia moments, these little micro moments that we're not even aware of that shift us. But we look back six months later and we're very different and we're happy with the changes that we made. We want to be as present as possible as these changes are occurring, but again, 2.3 million bits of data come, 126 get held by the conscious mind. We're naturally just going to miss a lot of those micro moments. I mean, we're going to miss 2.3 million of them, honestly. So when someone asks me what makes me so special to do this, right, you know, I immediately went into a bit of a defensive mode. 10,000 hours or more studying NLP, another 15,000 hours studying cognitive behavioral therapy or tapping or hypnosis or internal family systems, the thousands upon thousands of hours I've spent listening to other podcasts and audiobooks and YouTube videos, the hundreds of books that I've read or listened to on Audible, like the amount of information that I have poured into my life over the last almost five years of sobriety and recovery is pretty phenomenal. And this is judging me based on what I've been able to input. We're all going to have our own level of inputs, but either way, what we were doing in addiction versus what we are doing in recovery and sobriety isn't the same. (laughs) It's a lot. Especially if you're 142 episodes into this show, you've had a lot of amazing topics brought to you that have challenged your previous ways of thinking and have hopefully shifted you toward something that's more desirable for you, whatever that is for you. So when my friend asked me this question, whether it's you know to challenge me, you know when they hear me talk, and you know because I talk completely different than I used to. Who I was back in my addiction days is not who I am now. I'm still fun-loving and got a good personality and, you know, I like to laugh and make people laugh. I mean, some of the core tenets of who I am are still there. But the things that excite me, the, the, the way that I talk now, you know, when somebody will bring an issue to me, you know, the way that uh, I will just reference it and discuss it is completely different than I would have five years ago. So when she asked me what makes me so special, I, the, I mean, I went through the resume of all the stuff that I've done. But ultimately, what it came back to was that I just care now. I'm present now. I and I'm and I'm and I'm feeling uh, I'm getting shivers. So this is absolutely where this conversation is is heading. I'm, I'm present. Uh, I'm conscious of what I do. Like I I step outside of myself enough to be able to say, okay, this is what I just did. This is what the other person did, and this is how it made me feel. Where could I have been? Uh, more present? Where could I have asked more questions? Where could I have exposed my vulnerability? Where could I have let somebody else know where I'm coming from, right? Hoping that that they don't need to condone my belief system, but they 
they can at least embrace it and accept it as this is who I am. If you want this, then you can accept this. If you don't want this, just let me know. I don't want to waste any more time. And I give a lot of levity. I give a lot of, of, of rope to everyone who's close to me, realizing that they're all going through their own life with the resources they have. And they don't listen and learn and experience and then apply and evaluate and apply and evaluate and apply and evaluate. Like they didn't sign the contract and they didn't decide to get sober. They were just living their life the way they were on Thursday, January 12th of 2017. And then they woke up and it was just the morning of January 13th, 2017. They didn't make a life altering decision standing in the mirror of that bath room with shit tub to the left of them and trance music and what it looked like a fraternity party had been thrown in their bedroom. It was just a normal Thursday night. For me, it was the beginning of everything. So she doesn't, you know, at least from my perspective, this question wasn't asked to try to tell me that I wasn't um, meant to be doing what I am, that, that this question wasn't meant to challenge, like, like, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, just go back to being a waiter. I don't think that that's how the question was being um, handed to me. I don't think that's how it was asked. I do think she was seeking some some knowledge about my journey and what it was that I've been doing over the last five years that have led me to where I am now. When I got off into a tangent land and started rattling through the 10,000 hours of NLP and the 15,000 hours other places and all this stuff, she's like, okay, you're just rambling through a tangent now and, you know, just you know, stop. And it was, it was unfortunate. It, it, it hurt a little bit because I was exposing something there. I was expressing something. Like, I was letting somebody know, like, while you've been off doing your thing and, and being married and homeownership and, and child and your job and your life, I've been over here and this is what I've been working on. This is the project that is that fires me up. I've been in a lab with my pen and a pad. I, I, I am relentless toward what it is that I'm seeking to grow into. And I'm already on that journey. And I'm just, I'm, I want to open up the window and say, this, right, this is who I've become. Now, perhaps rambling on about my qualifications wasn't the best way. Perhaps a story about something in my life that, that just flipped and said, this is what I have to be doing. I don't know what I would be doing otherwise. Somebody had asked me, well, what did you think you'd be doing when you got sober? I'm like, I have no idea what I initially thought I would be doing, but this seems like exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. So do you have that in your life? right? You got sober. You're starting to work your way into addiction recovery. Perhaps you're already here and you're doing things and you're like, I don't know what I was thinking I'd do, but this feels exactly like what I would have thought had I been able to think that far ahead. <laughs> like this feels good. I love this, right? I just, I love this stuff. And so you know, face everything and release is like, just release how other people might perceive you knowing that they're not there for all of the hard work you've been doing. I can't try to explain to somebody why I do what I do. The best course of action I have is like, you know, if you don't understand what I do, how about you sit down with me and let's have a session for one hour. And I can assure you that how you're experiencing your life now, by the time you're done with me in an hour, an issue where you've had uh, something that you want to resolve, you'll feel it, you'll hear it, you'll see it completely differently. And now all of a sudden, blind spots that once were there are gone. 
it's like experience what it is that I do for an hour and then I can assure you you'll have at least a better idea of what it is I've been doing out here on my own without you being able to bear witness to it. And that's what's going to happen in your life. You're going to be making these massive changes and people aren't necessarily going to be aware of all that you've done in order to be this version of yourself in front of you. How does this tie into what we've been dealing with lately? Very simply, when we start to lay out these well-formed outcomes of creating our best year yet, there's going to be physical changes. There's going to be emotional growth. There's going to be mental growth. Our, our spiritual essence is going to grow. Our morals, our ethics, our values, integrity, humility, gratitude. We're going to be working on all four pillars of our lives through the three spheres of career, self, and relationships. Because it's much easier to know what we're growing and moving toward when we can organize it in our minds in a visual way that allows us to see, oh, having this phone call or going on this hike worked on eight areas of my life. Wow, that's fantastic. I can walk away from today, from this moment, knowing I did positive work toward my addiction recovery, towards my life. At some point, we're not just working on our sobriety or addiction recovery. We're just growing our lives, and we're doing it in a way where we're not going to be held down by other people's boundaries. If they want to live in a bubble, if they want to judge other people they've never met, if they want to take one conversation that they heard in passing and make that become the entire um, understanding base that they have about this person or that group or, or whatever it might be, then that's, they get to live in that world. We're not living in that world. We're living in a world of possibility where things can change on a dime and if you put intention, then attention flows. So I can't possibly fully explain to people where everything that has occurred over the last five years of sobriety for me is gone. I'm not really sure that I fully understand it all the time. Right? It is, it is just what it is. But I'm absolutely thrilled to be experiencing it. And it's through this experiencing of it that we're able to face everything and release. If somebody were to say, Jesse, how do you get over your fears? I just do it. I just do the thing that which I'm afraid of. Calling addiction recovery centers and, and asking them if I can come to their place and speak. Calling up colleges and high schools and asking if I can come there and speak. Calling up businesses and asking if I can come there to speak sitting down and writing my next book or shooting the next podcast or having a tough conversation with someone or asking them to dive in deeper to a topic that they might think is a hot button issue. Like whatever it is, I just do it. Is it the best decision for me in, 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 in like long term? Do we ever, are we ever really able to grasp that? Like long term, like what are we talking about? The next five minutes, the next five hours, the next five months, five years, 500 years like are we what, like what is what what is going to be this concept of time that we're going to attach to this decision that we're making right now on whether it will be good for us or not someone says well was it a good idea to marry that person and you know after 37 years of marriage you got divorced well it was a great idea when you first met them and fell in love with them and gave them a ring and everything happened and yes it ultimately did lead into divorce but you had 37 years of hopefully good memories somewhere i mean not all of them you got divorced after 37 years but you still had those life experiences right time machines don't exist because oh my god if it did 
the world would crumble around itself. One, space-time continuum, as far as Doc Brown would go, would just explode the world like in two seconds. But two, you'd have everybody trying to change everything, so nothing would ever be stable. The whole thing would crumble around you, right? There's a reason why we don't have time machines, because we would not use it the best way. <laughs> so we made the decisions we made with the best resources we had in the moment, and then we lived that experience out, and it is what it is. Like We get to we get to the quote-unquote end game, and we experience what we experienced. But I can't sit here and hold on to the fear that it may not be the best decision and then make no decision. I have to make some decision. I have to do something. There isn't going to be a stagnation in my life. If people around me, you know, don't necessarily get me, then I'll do my best I'll do my best job to explain it or tell a story about it or just have them be around me enough to realize that this is who they're now experiencing. And then they can decide whether they want this version of me in their life or not. If they decide not, it's it's not. I'm not going to go and, and change back to who I was. I'm not going to change who I am to you know placate who you want me to be because you're one of seven billion people. If I did that for every single person, that's like people pleasing on steroids. I would be miserable. You would be miserable if you attempt to placate everyone. You have to decide who you want to be, and then those that are going to be magnetically entertained by that or magnetically energized by that or just magnetically magnetized toward you, they will come. They will come. And as you make these massive changes in your life, realize that you're going to start to become much more picky about who you allow into your inner circle. And you should be, because everybody should be picky about who they allow into their inner circle. Wanting to make everyone like you is, is, is a fool's errand. It's a fool's game because you don't like everyone around you. So why would everyone else like everybody else around them? You don't like everyone. So why is everyone going to like you? So as you decide to make changes in your life, you make them based off the ecology of it. Is it good for you? Is it good for your loved ones? Is it good for the world in general? And then you have to run it through that filter system and say, well, it may not necessarily be great for everybody else, but who I'm going to be on the other side of this will ultimately make my life so exponentially better that I have to do this for myself. And then those who still want to be around me will choose to be around me. If you were to say, well, should I get sober? And you, and you tested it based off of the ecology of, is it good for you? Is it good for your loved ones and your friends? And is it good for the world? It may not be good for some of your friends because they lose their drinking buddy. They lose their Coke buddy. They lose the person who will sit around and get smashed with them all the time. That's unfortunate for them, but you're going to die if you don't. So then you have to step back and say, well, if I can still be that friend once I'm sober, great. But if not, then the, the whole relationship was built on intoxication, and that's not much of a friendship anyways. As we start to develop our new life, as we, as we look over these next couple months at really strategizing a plan of action for 2022, realize going into it that you are signing a contract to examine and to scope out every single aspect of your life. It's not daunting. It's not going to overwhelm you because everything isn't going to come at your plate, isn't going to come to your front door at the same time. 
Each day will open you up to a new experience. Each day will open your eyes up to something that you previously hadn't seen. You're not going to be you know, blind one morning and then all of a sudden seeing for the first time the next day. Not everything just shows up immediately. You have time to process things. So when you go to make these massive changes in your life, realize that, yes, some days might feel more overwhelming than others. 20 things might happen that are outside of your trance mode that you haven't experienced enough for your unconscious mind to habituate behaviors and actions around those moments. But once you do it once and twice and five and 10 times, all of a sudden your brain starts to figure out the homeostasis of it. It starts to figure out how to even you out. The fear is released because you've experienced it. And that, my friends, is one of the most powerful things that you can take from this episode. That you release fear the more you experience it and move through it. Afraid of social interactions? Then go to more social interactions. Afraid of being vulnerable in front of your partner? Then start being more vulnerable in front of your partner. Afraid to ask certain questions? Then start asking those questions more often. Understanding that you may not always get the response you want, you might get somebody emotionally triggered who's going to react, then that just gives you another opportunity to grow and to understand why you feel charged when they bring charge your way. This, this idea of personal growth and development, it, it, can, it can seem all-encompassing. It can seem like it, it covers everything. And in many ways, it does, but it doesn't cover everything every single second of your life. There are certain things that you're going to be challenged by in that moment that are outside of other things that you'll be challenged by an hour from now, five hours from now, 50 hours from now. Experience the moment for what it is. Feel the charge. Take charge and decide in that moment, is the way that I'm responding the way that is best for me? Am I growing more toward a more, uh, an empowered sense of self or am I disempowering myself? Where can I step up and experience this in a way that, that unites what it is I'm trying to achieve? I mean, that's, I feel like I'm discussing so much theory right now and I'm going to wrap this up because I've got a meeting in three minutes. But what's extremely important to me whenever I step back and I ask myself about where I'm growing toward, it's not being right every time I make a decision. It's my ability to do an after-action report, which is a military term I've referenced before, when I can step away and say, okay, whether it was my friend from last night, I had three amazing conversations back to back to back, and each one of those went in a completely different direction. I evaluated each one of them when I got off the phone, and there's a couple places where growth could have been uh, more desirable. So the next time I talk to them, I'm going to I'm going to steer it into that direction. I'm going to ask some direct questions. I'm going to dive in a little deeper and, and figure out why is my friend so uh, interested and in what makes me special to do this? You know, is she just wanting to, to understand me at a deeper level or is she wanting to challenge my authenticity? Why would one of my friends say one thing when they know I believe another thing? Are they trying to, to challenge my belief system or is this just the universe giving me an opportunity to accept other people for who they are? One of the things that fuels me the most, and, and I said this to my friend last night when she asked that question about what makes me so special to do this, is that 
as much as I like to say that I'm not controlled by fear, that fear doesn't run the show, fear does exist in all of us, no matter how much we experience it and release it. It's like water in a, in a, in a leaky boat. It will just show up. It will just, there will, something else will slide into its place. It's like 99 problems. Great. You solution opportunity one away. Another one just takes its place. Like there's always some issue. Hell, if nothing else, it could just be the dust on the floor. Right? So I work through things as I can work through them. But one of my main drivers um, for why, for why I'm so intense about what I do is it's this fear of being perceived as a fraud. It's this, it's this fear of somebody saying, I don't think that you've done as much work as you could have in order to be saying that you're, that the things that you say. I, I can't just get on the microphone or get into a session or go somewhere and speak without feeling like I need to have a wide breadth of knowledge on a lot of different topics because I don't want someone to think that I'm half-assing it that I just read one book or read one article and that I just built my entire belief system up around this one five-sentence thing I read. I want people to understand that I take in a tremendous amount of data because I'm looking for confirmation from lots of different sources. Carol Dweck, Eckhart Tolle, Brene Brown, they'll bring great topics to the table, but then I'm going to go on YouTube and listen to Gabor or listen to some other mindful people. And I'm really going to dive into the information in a way where I take in a a lot of it, I sift through it all, and then I bring to you guys what I consider to be the best, what I consider for you to to be the freshest content. It's it's, It's a promise I made to myself, more so than a promise I originally thought I was making to you. I'll leave you on this when it comes to this authenticity and not wanting to be a fraud thing. Um, I, my housemates are people who are fans of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and they talk about this press conference that Nick Saban, the head coach, gave when he first got hired, where he said, whatever expectations you have for winning, I can assure you, my expectations are higher. And I'm getting a charge again, so this is something good to talk about. Whatever expectations you have for my uh, my well-researched topics or for my, my intensity or whatever expectations you have about my authenticity or my willingness to explore things at a deeper level and bring to you my evaluations of my applications, like whatever you're expecting from me, I'm expecting more. Whatever someone in your life is expecting from you, I want you to expect more from yourself than they expect from you. I want you to be willing to push yourself beyond preconceived boundaries. Now, we also have discussed how expectations are a function of frustration. So when you expect something and it doesn't play out that way, be mindful of the emotion that it evokes in you. But that doesn't mean you still can't expect things from yourself. Push, 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 drive forward, work on it, work on it, work on it, because it may not turn out perfect, which again doesn't exist, but it'll be way more progress than just standing still. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Glow On. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 